Thank you for joining us on the Waymaker Church podcast today. We hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and makes a way for the new and deeper with Jesus Christ in your life. Enjoy. Hey, my name is Brett, and I have the privilege of being able to, to be on staff at the church as the executive development leader, get to serve on the executive team with Pastor John and Tammy, and also am the director of Waymaker Institute. And I got my whiteboard up here. I'm going to pull out some of my professor skills, or otherwise, you know, my uh, headmaster club skills. Headmaster was not a title that I gave myself, but one I gladly received. Thank you. Again, some of our students are in the front row. They're looking for extra credit. All right. Hey, I'm, I am standing here today um, ready and willing to, um, oh, Thomas, Sasha's back here. Hey, Sasha. <laughs> Sophia hates me right now. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Marcus, hey, man. Oh, your dad. Hey. Oh, man, they're going to they're gonna hate me for that. All right. Um, speaking of, speaking of, uh, I stand here today in a place of strength and confidence, um, not because of, of anything of me. This past week, um, I, man, knew what I was going to, to speak about today. In fact, even like in my class, I think it was like Tuesday before class, like I was on the board. I'm like, hey guys, you wanna, you wanna get a little preview of my message? And I mean, I was like doing all the things and they, they're like, oh, and they, you know, they all got saved and it was like a revival in class and it was awesome. And even like, you know, Thursday morning, you know, our staff got together and prayed and, and I just gave a little overview of what we we're doing. And it was like, people were like, oh, and revival. <laughs> and then, um, Thursday night came and I was like, I, I love like, you know, like, hey, hey, Casey, can I, can I share my message with you? Um, partly to get feedback and partly so that she gets saved, you know, either, either one of the two. Um, I'm just kidding. Is she in the service? I think she is. Where is she? Okay, good. I don't think she's here. All right. Oh, she is. Oh, hey. I'm just kidding. Um, no, but I, so I share it and, 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 and honestly, like I was, I was sharing and then it was just crazy thing. I, it was almost like my mind got so clouded and confused and I started to question everything. Like, I'm like, is this even, did I get this from the Bible? And did I, who is Jesus? And am I saved? I mean, it just got, it was, it was. I, I, I started freaking out. I'm like, am I going to start from scratch? Like, am I, am I going to have to completely go back to the drawing board. And in that moment, like Casey prayed for me because she's, she is saved and she is a woman of God. And so she prayed for me and, you know, I was like, you know what? I just gotta, I gotta close, close the computer, close my notes. I just, I gotta leave it. I gotta leave it. And so we were done. And then Friday, uh, I went, it was getting ready to study and, uh, both Casey and I separately sent out messages to our community group. And we just, I was just very honest, like, hey, I, I feel confused, I feel lost, I, I need help, because there's something going on, right, something going on. And in that moment, I mean, in that moment, I just, I'm so thankful for the men and women that, that Casey and I do life with. They, 
uh, they started a, uh, Mark is back there, he started a, a group um, FaceTime. You know, have you ever been in a group chat and group FaceTime? Now, that's dangerous, first of all, because about half the time, it's on accident, and you never know where that person is going to be. It, one time, literally, it was a group of guys, and someone FaceTimed us on the toilet. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to say who it was, Taylor Blackford, but I, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't Oh, man. See what happens when you're in a community group with me? You just All your stuff gets aired out. Um, <laughs> um, I just lost so much trust. All right. It's okay. We'll keep moving. And, man, we FaceTimed, and in that moment, they, they prayed and just interceded for me and cried out. Like, they went to battle. And I, in that moment, it was crystal clear. Like, I can't. Like, I'm not exaggerating. It, they prayed, and I was like, oh, that's it. That's exactly what I need to say. Exactly what I need to say. And there was this beautiful clarity and unity and confidence. And so I, I stand here because, well, first of all, we are in a spiritual war. We have a real spiritual enemy. And we, sometimes we're so naive sometimes i'm i'm ignorant to the fact that like i have a real spiritual enemy and that we need to together as the people of god in community intercede and go to battle sometimes in prayer and so today i stand in strength on the prayers of those in my community group and on on god's word and guided by god's spirit and i'm excited that we get to continue the series this means war we're saying, hey, we are, we don't battle against flesh and blood, that there is a real spiritual enemy and that there is a spiritual realm and that if we aren't careful, that we can fall into the traps and we can be devoured by the enemy, right? And, and it's like, man, we may, you know, he can't take our salvation, but man, he can take our joy now. He can't take our, our eternity with Jesus, but he can take our witness and our effectiveness here and now. So we're gonna, we're gonna uncover that more and more through this series. So this is week three, uh, and today, this morning, we're gonna learn about what spiritual warfare can look like, one aspect of spiritual warfare. And so we're gonna look at Jesus and see what he encountered. And so Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four, right um, this passage, Matthew chapter 4, is sandwiched in between two significant instances. First, he just got baptized. And then after this passage, he's stepping into his public ministry where he would perform miracles, where what we sang about, where the blind would see, where the lame would walk, where people that were sick would be healed, uh, where... where people would be resurrected, right? Jesus is on the doorstep of his public ministry of, of truly seeing heaven meet earth, kingdom of God on earth. And it says this in Matthew chapter four, four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. So fasting 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus was human. So at this point, if you fasted for more than a day, you know he's probably experiencing pain. Uh, hunger would be an understatement. He's probably got headaches because he, you know, he's not drinking Starbucks in the morning. Like he is 
Uh, he's probably dizzy when he tries to stand up, right? Maybe nauseous, right? He, I mean, he, he, maybe his thoughts are foggy, right? He just things aren't working. At, he is in a state of physical weakness in this point. That's the, that is the point. 40 days, 40 nights of fasting, and he is in a place of spiritual, or excuse me, physical, physical weakness. During the time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, which is significant because I said it was sandwiched between two events. Right before here, Jesus is baptized. And it says Jesus went under the water. He came, comes up, the, uh, the spirit of God, like a dove, ascends on Jesus. And then the voice from heaven, the heavenly father says this, this is my son. He speaks identity over Jesus. This is my beloved son who I am well pleased. So he just has identity spoken over him as the son of God. And then right after that, Satan says, if you are the son of God, questioning, challenging his identity, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And see, the, like bread isn't evil. Doing a miracle in this sense wasn't evil. Yet in the moment of physical weakness, of participating in this fast that the spirit had led him to do, Satan is giving him a way out to soothe and to ease the discomfort and the pain. Right at that moment, the sound or the, like if, if you're like me, when I fast, I watch videos of people eating a lot of food. I don't, I don't know if I'm the only weird one like that, right? Because just, just the look of it, and then like, I, I just wanna you know, smell it, right? Because I can't, and so just in that moment, he's, he's tempting him with pleasure. In the moment of physical weakness, here's something pleasurable that your body and everything within you desires. And Jesus says, no, no, we don't, we don't live just on, on bread alone. It's the temptation of pleasure and of soothing and avoiding the pain and discomforts of her life. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, there it is again, jump off for the scriptures say, and here Satan is saying, hey, I know the scriptures. Okay? We, we have an idea sometimes of what the attack of the enemy looks like. And here Satan is literally taking scripture from the Old Testament and giving it to Jesus. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your, the, your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. See, this is the temptation of fame, of success, of pride, of being exalted. Because here in the holy city, like, I mean, the place where all of the religious activity takes place at the highest point of the temple so everyone can see where all the religious leaders and the people of authority are. Man, if Jesus were to throw himself off of that for everyone to see in the, the, the center point epicenter of religious activity, he would instantly be shot to fame, to glory, to success. I mean, people, everywhere he would go, people would know, oh, this is the guy, but his time wasn't yet. Over and over, Jesus would say, my time hasn't come yet. Like, no, no, not yet, not yet. 
There's a time in this. He submits to the Father's will, but here Satan is trying to say, hey, wouldn't, wouldn't it be awesome if people just like celebrated you and held you up on a pedestal because you did something really awesome in the center of all religious activity? Temptation of fame, success, pride. Verse eight, next the devil took him to the peak of the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. I will give it to you all, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here we have this idea of false worship. Ironically, Satan offering Jesus, King Jesus, what is rightfully his, but through a different means of idolatry and false worship. And of course, Jesus responds to him with truth. And then verse 11, it says, then the devil went away and angels came at the right time, at the appointed time, angels came and took care of Jesus. I love this because this is the uh, the recording of Matthew of this instance. In Luke, the, Luke actually also writes about this instance and he closes it very differently. They, they chose different like details of that to write about. And in Luke's telling of this temptation of Jesus, after the three temptations, Luke says that Satan went away waiting for his next opportunity, right? Like, Satan was like, okay, I'm not gonna get Jesus now, but I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get him again. I'm gonna come after him again. Satan questions Jesus' identity. He feeds him lies, idolatry. Satan didn't blatantly attack him in some scary, like forceful effort. It wasn't, the temptation from Satan wasn't by force or might. It wasn't what we oftentimes think of when we hear the idea of spiritual warfare. It wasn't control, it was subtle. It was manipulative. It was partial truths and subtle lies. It was sneaky. So this morning, we're gonna uncover one of the schemes of the enemy. Specifically, we're gonna focus on spiritual oppression. We've been talking about spiritual oppression in each of the weeks. Pastor John, like kind of focusing in on certain aspects of spiritual oppression. Last week, we talked about unforgiveness. Unforgiveness can, can put us in spiritual oppression. But today we're gonna to look at really a cycle, the cycle of spiritual oppression. So let me just define for us what spiritual oppression is to help us get on the same page. It is to feel crushed or burdened by abuse of power or authority. Do you ever feel like just in your soul, in your mind, in your spirit, that just you're, you're like burdened and you're crushed and, and it feels like there's some sort of like, like power or authority that just, like you, it just, you feel burdened to weigh heavily upon to feel spiritually bullied, spiritually bullied, right? That's, that's what we mean by spiritual oppression. We're, we're not talking about spiritual possession. Now, that is a real thing. And if we continue to read the gospels, we would see examples of spiritual possession. 
And that's when, when we think of spiritual warfare, sometimes that's what comes to mind. The reality is, and the difficult, man, and even in this, it's the scheme of the enemy. If he can convince us that spiritual warfare, well, I, I haven't heard any crazy voices and I don't, I don't feel like I've seen any crazy things, so I must not be in a spiritual warfare. The, the movies I watch and the, the shows or the things I read paint some, one picture and I haven't experienced that, so I must be okay. I must be good. Maybe, maybe everyone else is hearing voices, but I, spiritual warfare, I must be exempt. And those things, by the way, are real. And by the way, we have been doing battle with, but that's not specifically what we're talking about this morning. I just wanna be very clear on that. I'm not trying to sidestep or avoid and say those things aren't real, that possession isn't real and that, that, that control isn't real. But today we're talking about oppression to be bullied, to feel weighed down and burdened spiritually. That's what we're talking about this morning. So we're gonna dive in and we're gonna look at the cycle of spiritual oppression. I think that for some of you, just seeing this and knowing this is gonna help so much. And and my, my hope is to give you tools to bring freedom from things that you have felt weighed down and burdened by for maybe years and decades. And the first part of this cycle of spiritual oppression, it's lies. Lies, right? Think about back to the temptation of Jesus, the, the, the subtle lies and the partial truth that Satan was feeding Jesus, primarily attacking his identity. And so we, begin to believe lies about who we are. We begin to believe lies about who can define truth. Lies about, I deserve this. I need this to be fulfilled. I am this. I can't or never will be able to do this. Lies specifically about who God is. And oftentimes, any lie that we are believing is attached to a lie about who God is. That's the source of it. And that's why Satan attacked the identity of Jesus more than anything else. Because if he could attack that, then everything else would fall into place. Lies. Now, it doesn't just stop with lies, because those lies feed something. They feed something, they build something. And the next is idolatry. Idolatry. And again, when we hear that word, we may think of tokens or figures or statues or you know, altars, but we are in Forest, Virginia in the year 2023, our idols no less powerful, no less real, but they take different forms. And by idols or idolatry, anything that would take away our affection from God, anything that would steal or push our worship away from the creator to the created, to the created. In fact, uh, Romans chapter one, verse 21 and through 25 talks about lies and idols, lies idols. It gives some really good language and context to this. It says, yes, they knew God, 
but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. Right? So they knew God, but, but things started to happen in their mind about what they thought about God. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Skip down to verse 25. They traded truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created. Good things, by the way, right? Because we know from Genesis, God created good things. And yet they exalted those good things above the creator. They worship and serve the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And that's kind of the, the correlation that lies and idolatry have. We begin to believe certain things and they feed our idols. Okay, so, so what are idols? Well, um, should, uh, yeah, okay. So what, what is controlling your emotions right now? in your thoughts, okay? Can I be honest? I wish my Sunday evening was not completely dictated by how well my fantasy football team did, okay? Thank you, we need freedom, I need freedom. And every Sunday, I'm like, okay, it's not gonna affect me, it's not an idol, fantasy football is not an idol in my life, no, uh And then, you know, I'm gonna get these alerts, and like, and then, and then, Eckler lays an egg on Monday Night Football, and I'm like, ah, get away from me, kids. I, I'm mad. Ah. <laughs> what, what is that? I, I'm like, it's an idol, right? It's a, it's a, my fake team about grown-ups playing a sport, and it controls my emotions and my weekend. I mean, we just had someone raised from the dead Sunday morning in church, and now I'm like, does God even love me? My team is horrible. It's an idol. But like, and we joke about that, but I mean, it's anything that has authority in our life, anything other than Jesus, anything that has power and authority of, of things we say and decisions we make and, and, and our emotions, anything it can be ourself, we can idolize ourselves. It can be a relationship, our spouse or our kids. It can be things that are tangible like women or men or money. It can be success or work. It can be safety. We can idolize safety and somehow think that it, it's up to us to be safe or to control the safety of our kids. We can idolize comfort. Do you know how many things or decisions I make because I idolize comfort? Yes. Yes, sometimes I love comfort more than Jesus in a moment. And it will cause me to make decisions or to not do things that God asked me of. Idols, which is, a, idolatry is a form of sin. However, Oftentimes, our idols will ask something of us. Every idol wants something from us. And anything apart from Jesus, that idol will ultimately lead us to sin. 
and, and the sin is, is typically between directed towards our creator and towards other people. And so al although idolatry is, yes, a form of sin, that idolatry will ask of us something that is usually fleshed out in sin against one another. And it's, it's, the, it's the things that maybe, you know, growing up in church, the list that you, you heard about not to do. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, you know, right? But really, sin is anything. I mean, God, if God asks you to do something and you don't do it, right, that, that's a form of sin. Right? If, if he says don't do something and you do it, it, it's a form of sin, right? But then you have the sins of, like, man, like lying, the sin of cheating, sexual immorality, like the, the big ones, the ones, you know, that maybe you heard that were written on the board, but, but ultimately those sins come from some idol in our life that that idol has asked of us in our worship to that idol. That's what it wants from us. First John 1 says this, chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now, sin ultimately leads to something, right? And you guys are smart. As you look through scripture over and over, and as you even consider your own life. What does sin lead to? Death. Yes. Fantastic. Always. Sin leads to death. Genesis. The first sin. The death of what? Unity. Communion with God. The death of trust between Adam and Eve. We're cover up, we got shame and guilt. Then for the death of actually like a person, murder. And so sin in our life leads to suffering and death. Now, when we say suffering and death, it's easy for us to consider the suffering and death that's in the news right now. So maybe your mind immediately goes to the Middle East war in Israel. And yes, that is suffering and death that has been informed by sin. That sin is, is almost like a form of worship to certain idols, and those idols were informed and given almost power by lies. And guess what? We can go to the Old Testament and see exactly that cycle in the Middle East from the beginning. But we can say, oh, well, that's suffering and death out in the world, but then we forget that all of us this past week encountered elements of suffering and death in our lives. Suffering and death of what? Relationships. Friendship, maybe a relationship with a spouse or a child. It, it's, it, there's, a, there's suffering in there. Maybe it's suffering and death internally, of suffering and death of your peace and your joy, and your hope? The, the death of what? Maybe it's the death of dreams and visions and a call that you once believed, but now, now you feel like it's gone. 
has died. The death of really like families and communities and even nations, like to, to keep getting broader and broader. Suffering death always follows sin. Romans 5.12 states it this way, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. So what do we do in light of the cycle of spiritual oppression? Because it is a cycle. Suffering and death, Satan wants to use to intimidate us, right? It's, it's, it, there's some intimidation. Like we don't love suffering and death. And so oftentimes we are left when faced with and when encountering suffering and death, we are faced with going back to lies. Lies about who God is and who we are. Lies about what I deserve. Lies about who can define truth. And then those lies lead to idolatry, to sin, and more suffering and death. And this is ultimately the cycle of spiritual oppression. And maybe for the first time, because you're thinking, you know, I mean, obviously I know that there's sin in my life and I confess it once a week. And like, what, why, why do I keep feeling bullied spiritually? Why do I, feel, why do I keep feeling the, the heavy burden? Well, yeah, you, you confess your sin, which you should do, but the lies, they are still completely inundating you completely controlling your mind and what you believe. And so even though you've confessed this, you keep going back through the cycle and through the cycle. And in the wake of it, suffering and death keeps following you for some reason. So 1 Peter 5, 8 gives us a charge this morning. This is the charge for us. It's to be alert and sober-minded. Be alert and of sober mind. It says your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are to be sober-minded. So what does sober-minded mean? Sober-minded is to be keenly aware of what's entering the door of your home. And I, I just believe that today we are to be sober-minded, meaning keenly aware of what's entering the door of our home. Now, by home, sure, the dwelling place that you live, but more specifically, your temple. Right? Scripture says that our, our body is a temple. And, and the door to your home, what is the most, the two most dominant doorways to yourself, to your mind, to your emotions, to your soul, to your spirit, is through your eyes and through your ears. What do you see and what do you hear? And the challenge is, we, we think maybe spiritual warfare is this, this grandiose, like ugly, like evil, which it is, like in your face, forceful attack, 
And yet, every day, every day, we are flooded. The door is left wide open to our minds where we are left to believe certain lies. Wide open. And, and listen, I, part of me, the, the part of me that wants you to like me doesn't like the fact that now I sound like the old, the old preacher telling you, you shouldn't watch that or listen to that. I get it. I became that guy. But the longer I follow Jesus and the more I'm honest with myself, I realize that everything that I'm letting into the door of my home has an opportunity to feed lies. Who God is, what I deserve, who I am, what I need, who you are. And those lies feed and uplift idols in my life that demand a certain level of worship and sacrifice from me which often manifests in sin, and that sin leaves in its wake, suffering and death. And so I wonder why I'm always conniving and trying to figure out how to get more money, because I, I, because I believe, okay? And I, I know I keep saying this, I'm just, this is, because I believe that if I have a Tesla, I will be satisfied and fulfilled. I will lack no good thing if I just drew a Tesla. In fact, there, I have to admit this, there was someone in the parking lot that had a Tesla and I was with my kids. This is so bad. Um, and they were in their car and I was like, hey kids, uh, go, go say hey to them. Uh, Cause I wanna see, I wanna see inside the Tesla. And they're like, no, we're not doing that dad. I'm like, fine, I'm going. So I go and I like knock on the window. Oh, this is so bad. And I was like, hey, my kids love Teslas. <laughs> I know, that was, a, that was a partial truth. It, they do love Teslas, okay? It's like Satan right there, he's just partial truths, right? And, and so, it, okay, but why? Because, because every day I watch another video about Teslas and that's not sinful. Yet I'm not being sober-minded of what I let into to my eyes and my ears. Okay, guess what? You can't look at another female as an image bearer and appreciate the beauty and the dignity in her. Why? Because everything you're taking in tells you that they are an object to satisfy your desires. And you wonder why you feel so spiritually oppressed. Because, because everything you're listening and watching says something other than that they are created in the image of God, that they actually bear like the beauty of the creator. Be sober-minded, be sober-minded. Now, I, like, you know, sure, may, 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 like maybe it's not like actual demons showing up to your doorpost and giving you lies, but you better believe that sometimes we fail to recognize that there are ideologies and constructs and things that we just, readily let in that seems so, so innocent and subtle, but that are continuing to 
to fill us with lies and that we find ourselves ultimately in the cycle of spiritual oppression. But thank God that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Thank God that Jesus has an answer for this. So how are we to be sober-minded? How do we break the cycle of oppression? First, guard the door. Guard your door. There are things that you need to limit. They're not evil, they're not bad, but you need to limit them because they're just feeding lies. There are things that you need to get rid of completely. And, and I, can't t- I can't even tell you what they are. All I know is now we have these devices that give us access to everything at all times. And we as humans were not meant to live lives like that. We, we can't process all of the things that we take in. Guard the door to your home, to your mind. Like God's spirit, get yourself around some good people who love Jesus and filled with the spirit, informed by God's word and, and he'll reveal those things. Next. Repent. Repent. Of what? Idols? Sin. Bring it to the light. All right, and you're like, well, you know, I'm, I, I gave my life to Jesus. I know I'm saved and I'm redeemed and I'm marked by the Spirit and I will spend eternity. I mean, there's something about confessing, repenting, bringing light to, to the idols and to the sin in our life so we can actually experience healing from those things. Healing. We can, we can take the power away from those things. Identify, confess, turn. Turn towards what, right? Because repent is this idea of, all right, I identify this, I confess this, and I'm gonna turn towards what? Towards what? true worship. Worship the creator. Like we, we can undermine the power of worship in our lives because true worship attacks the idols. It says, no, 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 Jesus is king. He's on the throne. Creator God deserves our worship. And, and true worship combats the lies. Think about all the truth that we sang, all the truth that we repeated and, it, and it's, it's saturating our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, our spirit in truth. And, and by, by true worship, I don't mean just singing the songs. Because you, you know, just like me, that I can sing, but I'm not actually worshiping. Like maybe, maybe for you, true worship is like hitting your knees in humility, saying, God, would you let the truth wash over me? I'm, I'm worshiping you, not the idols of my life. And then finally, live resurrected. And this is the part, right? Because maybe you hear like, hey, do good things for God. He wants to partner with you in his mission. And you're like, I, I, I can't. I feel so spiritually oppressed and spiritually bullied. And the reality is when we live lives of repentance and 
and true worship, when we are mindful to guard the doors, that we are actually able to live resurrected life. There's an overflow that we're able to actually, where there is no joy, bring joy. Where there is chaos to bring peace. Where there is suffering and death to actually bring life. That we are a new creation. That we are to live resurrected, spirit-filled lives. And you have been maybe rendered ineffective because you've been caught in the spiritual oppression. And Jesus wants freedom for you. And he wants you to be able to live a resurrected life because Jesus resurrected. Now he died for the payment of our sin, but he resurrected so that death would no longer be a bully, no longer be a bully. That even in the midst of suffering, that we could have hope and peace only by the resurrected Jesus. Now, I am, um, we're gonna, gonna go into a time of prayer, but before, uh, before we do, I do wanna share this. I'll, I'll, we don't have time to dive into this, but this morning when we're talking about being sober-minded and to guard the door, what, what are you letting in? You know, the church has, the, the, sometimes the, the Western church has missed the mark on this. Because we're really good at maybe telling people, hey, shut the door, don't let that in, shut the door. The things that we can control. But I, I want to acknowledge that there are things that have been let in that we had no control over that are causing spiritual oppression. Pastor John mentioned these in week one, trauma. You had no control over that. You had no control. But when we experience trauma, it is a pathway for what? And it, it wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. But you are spiritually oppressed. And so, it's not, so I, when I say guard the door, I'm not saying like, oh, just guard. Yeah, it's like, no, something's already in there. And oftentimes when it comes to, to trauma, we have to actually open the door, invite Jesus to go back to, with us to that moment where he can help bring freedom and deliverance and healing. Okay, I'm not, I'm not I don't wanna brush past that. We don't have time to, to talk about that. The other thing too is family strongholds. You, you can guard the door. That's why we never let mom and dad come, right? That's never, we never let our brother or sister come over. But guess what? Family strongholds, it's already in your home. It's already in there. Doing what? Informing lies, been passed down one generation to the next. Idols, one generation to the next, sin. Maybe it changes and morphs from generation to generation, but it always leaves in its wake, suffering and death. So it's not, it's not enough to just shut the door, open it. Jesus, we need you. 
Like, we need you to heal things. We need you to resurrect things. We need you to take things out because it's by the power of Jesus that we're gonna go to battle, okay? So I just want, I wanted to, that we will, we will, we've talked about those things and we'll get more into those things. This morning, what do we have control over? Every day, what enters into the doors of our homes. And so right now, I would love for you to create a space for you to communicate with your heavenly father, whatever that looks like. Um, if you need to kneel, um, if you need to stand, if you uh, need to get up and go to another place in the auditorium, but I just wanna take a prayerful posture where you can really focus in. And I wanna lead us through some prayers because maybe for you, it's like, well, I don't, I don't really know what those lies are. And you're finding it hard because now I think the spirit of God has already revealed to some of you the lie. Boom, there it is. Awesome, okay? Well, go to battle right now. Bring those to light, confess those, worship God, speak truth, speak scripture, who God is and who you are. Jesus did, that's how he combated it. But sometimes it's hard. So how about let's start at the end? So talk to your heavenly father and pray something like this in your, in your, in your own words. Heavenly Father, show me in my life where suffering and death is present. How about start there? Because that's when it becomes personal. That's when we can feel the pain. Say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal where suffering and death is present in my life? Relationship, a dream, a calling, your peace, your joy. And once you've identified that, maybe the Spirit is revealing that right now. Now say, Heavenly Father, what sin in my life? What sin in my life has brought that suffering and that death? And listen, it doesn't mean you're only and fully responsible, but how about let God show your part in it? What sin? In your anger, your harsh judgment, criticism, your lying? What is it? Forgiveness. And then from there, from there, Father, show me the idols. Because sometimes I have a hard time seeing them. What idols that I have exalted in my life that have asked my worship and my affection that are controlling and I've given authority over to? Is it a person? 
Just identify it between you and your heavenly father. It's this person, it's this thing. And then what lie am I believing? About you, father, about who you say I am. Because here's the deal, spiritual warfare can look very different than maybe what we think. And today, we recognize that Jesus has given us what we need by the power of his spirit, through his word, to confess every sin, to identify and put into place every idol, to, to worship in both spirit and in truth, to apply truth to the lies, and to actually live resurrected lives where when we walk into the place, people don't even realize it or know what's happening, but they know that heaven has entered, that the presence of God somehow, Jesus in us, the spirit in us has entered and things are different. And that's what kind of church God's calling us to, to be sober-minded, to know what's feeding the lies, form the idols that are asking of us sin, bring suffering and death. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thank you to those who give to Waymaker Church. It is because of you that our ministry is possible. Visit waymaker.church to give now. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe. You can also share it with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Now go make a way.